Indeed. Come on now. Anybody seen The Greatest Showman? Okay, you're really going to enjoy this morning, the five of you. Well, good morning, Soul Sanctuary. We're thrilled to be spending this beautiful Sunday morning with you all. Whether this is your first Sunday here or your hundredth Sunday here, we're thrilled to see you. We're thrilled to have you join us. My name is Lauren, and I'm a part of the Wildlife Youth Community. I spend my Fridays hanging out with the most incredible high school students here at Soul Sanctuary. Yeah, there's a cheer in the front row. I like it. <laughs> uh, my name is Jordan, and I have the pleasure of co-leading Wildlife with Lauren, the youth pastor here at Soul. And uh, Today, you are in for an incredible morning. Uh, I, I, I'm excited that we have the opportunity to share with you. Uh, we are back in our series, God in the Movies, and uh, we've, we've prepped a fun one today, I think. Uh, it's, a, it's a recent release, but we'll get there in a moment. If you're new to uh, God in the Movies and what that's all about, uh, Soul Sanctuary, this, this church community, we were founded in 2004. And right since the inception of Soul, we've, we've always revisited this series called God in the Movies. And God in the Movies is an a, a in-depth look into popular film. And, and we look and study popular film and, and see what it has to uh, reveal to us about truth, about faith, about God. And, and ultimately, in, in a roundabout way, about ourselves and our inner, inward attitudes as well. And, and that's really what we'll focus on today. Um, in that, in the history of Seoul, in the evolution of Seoul Sanctuary as a community, uh, for uh, years we actually met in a movie theater. And when we did this series in a movie theater, it was arguably the easiest invite to church. It was simply, hey, like, literally come to the movie theater and watch a movie and eat popcorn and let's talk about God. And, and that was incredible. And we're glad that you've decided to join us uh, for a passage uh, or for a section of God in the movies here this morning. As we search through film... Uh, on a search for truth, on a search for God, uh, on a search for grace, uh, we see something um, reflected in movies that, that speaks to our inward realities. The fact is, is that movies uh, and, and the movie stars, are, they carry significant clout in our society today. Uh, these, these stars, rightly or wrongly, have massive influence in our society. In movies, they communicate the message of a director, maybe of a, a playwright or a scriptwriter or, or an actor. And this message that's communicated is, is a personal message to them, and it's projected on us. It's not often that you'll pay to get preached at for 90 minutes, but we do it every single time we watch a movie. Movies communicate philosophical systems. They uh, communicate moral values, uh, uh, ethical values. Uh, they communicate uh, somebody's perception of God. And furthermore, movies are just an incredible teaching tool. Anybody graduate high school after the year 2000? Let's see the demographic in here. After the year 2000, all right, so everyone on that side of the room and a line right in the middle. Okay, so those of you who graduated after 2000, think back to your mandatory grade 11 Canadian history course, if you can think back that far. There's a, come, oh, come on, don't sigh. This is my pride and joy right there, Canadian history, all right? Okay, in, in the year 2000, the CBC produced a, um, a, I guess, a mini-series. Well, it was actually a big series. It was a massive undertaking for the time. It was called Canada, A People's History. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The, okay, so everybody on that side of the room. All right, this makes sense. Uh, so what they did is CBC, they, they published it and they aired it. But it became an instant teaching tool in classrooms across the nation. 
I, I, I think that if you think about your grade 11 Canadian history teacher on this side of the room, you probably are like when they were sick or when they were like not really with it, they just plugged in Canada People's History because it literally taught everything for them. Of course, from somebody's perspective, telling a narrative that's often been critiqued, uh, 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 one dominant narrative, regardless, film serves as a teaching tool. And so this morning, we're going to look at what we can learn about ourselves, what we can learn about God, and ultimately the plan that he has for our lives through this film. We're going to analyze some of the dominant voices in our culture, and we're going to uh, see what the implications are of it for a follower of Christ. So would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning, uh, to speak your truth. We pray that uh, your spirit clearly communicates a message of hope and redemption. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. So this morning, as Jordan mentioned earlier, we're going to be looking at the movie The Greatest Showman. Now, I'm a huge sucker for musicals. Like, absolutely any musical, I am watching it. I am there. Not I me. am dragging Jordan. When we first started dating, I was like, Jordan, have you seen, like, Grease, Hairspray, any of these no. So I'm like pulling out all my DVDs. I'm like, you have to watch this. This is just, this is life. You need to know what these movies are and these musicals are. So from like Grease to Mamma Mia to La La Land, which is a more recent one, there's just something that's so intoxicating about Hollywood combining world-class actors and a stellar soundtrack that just sends shivers up my spine. And this movie, The Greatest Showman, did not disappoint. Before we even went to go see this in the theater, Jordan had the soundtrack memorized. True, sure. like, I'm not a musical a fan. <laughs> not a musical fan, but did. So The Greatest Showman is a musical that's inspired by the life of a man named P.T. Barnum, who's a 19th century businessman and showman who founded the Barnum and Bailey Circus. This story celebrates the birth of show business in the form of a circus and tells the story of a man who started with nothing and but his dream, and his dream became this worldwide spectacle. If you've seen the movie, you know that the main theme of The Greatest Showman is about the acceptance of others and the celebration of differences. However, the, throughout the film, the story follows the evolution of the dreams that Barnum desires for his life and for his family. Barnum comes from humble beginnings. He's the son of a tailor. He meets a young woman named Charity, who is from a very wealthy family. They fall in love, and Barnum makes it his mission to give her the world. He's an entrepreneur who always wants more. Barnum strives to prove himself to the upper-class society and won't stop until he's achieved it all. The odds are stacked against him, and so is his father-in-law. Watch the screens. So fast forward a couple of years. Barnum and Charity are now married, but the life that he promised her has not been fulfilled quite yet. Barnum is full of creativity, and yet he spends his days working in a lifeless job. After being laid off and reaching a new all-time low, he goes home and breaks the news to his family. Turn your attention to the screens. We have any dreamers in here? Like self-proclaimed shameless dreamers. Come on. Where are you at? All right. Okay. Also this section. Like... <laughs> Okay, I like it. Come on, embrace that millennial spirit. Mm, all right, come on. No, for real. Like, if you are a self-proclaimed dreamer, that is you. You know, you, get, you just get lost in those dreams. Like, loud and proud here. Come on, let's see them. Let's see them. I know they're here. Okay, all right, all right. We got some optimists in the house. That's what I'm talking about. Um, I'm a soccer coach, and, and, and I coach high school boys. I'm, I'm the kind of dreamer that it, it'll be like game day. 
and I'll get up and I'll be showering in the morning and I'll just be thinking about my starting lineup and then I'll be like marking it out in the steam on the shower, like which starting lineup is going to bring us to victory. Like hopelessly, just completely lost my whole day as invested in that soccer game. I have a passion burning up inside of me for it and I dream about it. Uh, in my nature, it's, it's very entrepreneurial. Um, I get really passionate about things. So all you dreamers, I, I'm, we're on the same wavelength right now. I get really passionate about things. I borderline obsess until I fulfill those objectives and goals. And for myself, from a young age, my parents would intentionally keep information from me because I'd get carried away dreaming. If we were going on a vacation, even to Fargo, they would purposely not tell me until the very last moment because all I could do is think about where we're going to go, who we were going to see, what stores I was going to go to, and all the excitement would just keep me up at night and that would be all I could think about. When a little seed gets planted in my brain, it just gets blown out of proportion so quickly. 100%. For an example, I really want a puppy. It's all I talk about. It's all I want. It's this dog. I have it picked out. I'm like, this puppy is mine. And last summer, Jordan and I went for a walk, and we're walking through the neighborhood, and I finally got the slight green light from him that was like, yeah, I could see us owning a dog. This could be something that's good for us. So I was like, oh my gosh. I didn't sleep that night because I was looking on Pinterest, finding dog names, the best leashes, the puppy beds, the puppy little teepees that you see all over Pinterest that are so cute. It kept me up all night. Now, I'm a dreamer by nature, and I realize it can be a really good thing when I put it to good use, but it can also be a really big time suck and keep me from doing my other day-to-day tasks. So let's evolve this idea of dreaming a little bit. Ask yourself this question, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What are the things that you dream about? Not, not things like getting a dog. Well, it's not inherently a bad thing. This isn't what I'm talking about. But, but the things that really get you going. Like you close your eyes at night and like across your eyelids, this is going. It's like you try to sleep and your mind is just spinning. What are you passionate about? You got it? Okay, shout it out. What are you passionate about? It's a passionate like the, crowd up in here. The most dead crowd ever. No, no, no. I, I refuse to accept it. I got a handful of dreamers over here who've got passion. Okay, what are you passionate about? Food. Okay. Can agree with that. Wait. Hunting. Okay. Passionate about hunting. Just, yeah, okay. I'm going to leave that. What else? Kids. Kids. Sweet. What else? Spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. Woo! Come to the right place. What else? What are you, music. Passionate about music. What else? Oh, come on now, right? I, I don't want to beat a dead horse this morning, but come on. What else? Nature. In a moment, we're going to learn that these dreams, that these passions that we have are good things, and they can even be gifts from God. Go Jets, go. Today we're going to look at the life of Barnum, and we're going to also at the same time look at the life of David, a king of Israel found in the Bible. That The Bible actually describes this king of Israel as a man after God's own heart. And David, we'll learn, is a dreamer too. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has a dream 
He has a deep desire, a passion, and it's to build a temple in which God can dwell. If we go to, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, it says, The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David realized that there's a discrepancy between the materials of his house and of God's house. Cedar being an expensive wood, David realizes, why do I have this house when, when the God of all ages is dwelling in a tent? And so David has a desire to build God a temple. He has this dream of creating a place, a physical place, which is grand and ornate, which God's presence can dwell, where God can be worshipped. Uh, more important than David's dream here is David's motivation for his dream. And it comes from a deep desire to glorify God. And this is a theme that we're going to be returning to all morning long. The prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel initially tells David, pursue the dream that's on your heart. But that night God speaks to Nathan. And then Nathan comes back to David and says, actually change of plans, David. Uh, God doesn't want you to build this temple. In fact, he wants your son to build this temple. And David, all of a sudden, you know, you know when your, your dreams get shut down, like you bring forth a really cool idea? There's a scene uh, a little bit earlier in the film where Barnum is at his, uh, I guess, his job, and he doesn't really have anywhere to go with that job. And, and they're typing letters or something, and, and Barnum comes with, to his manager and is like, we, we, we should somehow put the letters in the flying machine, Right? For, foreshadowing air transportation and mail and whatever else. But instantly, Barnum's rejected. You know that feeling? You're like, I got that good idea, but nobody, nobody is buying it. David has this idea to build a temple. But when Nathan hears from God and Nathan communicates to David, it's not you, David, it's your son. But the way David reacts is interesting. David reacts to this change of plans humbly. He praises God for it. He expresses how great God is, and he, he pledges his loyalty to God through it all. And sometimes our dreams, our deep passions, they come from unlikely places. Oftentimes they come out of the purest intentions, just like David. Sometimes our dreams stem from opportunity. Sometimes they, they, they come from, just like Barnum, out of necessity. If you missed it in that last scene, Barnum's dream, as the, as the wishing machine is spinning, the lights around uh, the bed sheets up on the rooftop, they transform into circus animals. And I'm not sure if you caught that or not, but that's the spark of his dream. His dream comes from a place of necessity. He wants to provide a life of security for his family. And combined with his cunning and with his creativity, uh, this led Barnum to found Barnum's Museum of Curiosities. And watch the screen. Can you feel the passion from Barnum just like pouring out of the screens? The excitement, the pursuit of passion is a good thing. God can work through our passions. And that's our first truth this morning, that God gives us passions to pursue. Are you passionate about business, social justice, education, your family, church ministry? No matter where you are in life, God will use you if you let him. God gives us passions to pursue which are meant to bring the glory to him. 
One of my passions is to see young women in the church rise up and serve the Lord wholeheartedly through ministry, through service, and through influence. A passion to see the lives of our students and people of Soul Sanctuary radically change from the inside out and in turn lead people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Passion is the driving force within us that motivates us in such a way that we have an impact on those around us. Passion is a set of qualities that are mentioned when someone is explaining who we are. Our passions often define who we are. Passion is designed to come to the surface, like a beach ball that we try to hold underwater, and it takes so much effort and energy to keep down. Trying to hide our passions is difficult work. God-given passions are designed to be expressed so that we will make a difference somewhere, someday. In the life of David, we can see that his passion was to honor God in whatever way he could. This led David into a series of battles to increase his territory as king. And later it led David to take the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Overall, David's intentions were pure. He was not consumed of what people thought of him. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says David leaps and dances and sings before the Lord to the point where the people around him started gossiping and calling him undignified and distasteful. For surely these were not the actions of a king. But David's deep desire was to honor God. David's deep desire to honor the Lord trumped whatever anyone thought of him. David was a mighty warrior, tactful and methodical. He used these abilities as king to celebrate the greatness of God, and he lived a life in pursuit of bringing him honor. And when we look at the film, Barnum's initial motivations are also pure, just like David's. And, and his motivation is to provide a life of security for his family. And he has this idea, and he wants to take society's freaks for lack of a better term. This is the term the movie uses. There's actually a lot that we could unpack about how the movie uh, looks at the other. Uh, that's not where we're going this morning. That'll be um, The Greatest Showman 2.0. Uh, so he, he takes a look at society's freaks, the outcasts, the other in society, and he thinks to himself, people stare at them already. Surely people will pay to see them. And his driving motivation out of that is actually not one that belittles those individuals, but rather one that is to provide for his family. And, and throughout scripture, we're reminded that the motivation behind action is often more important than the action itself. Jesus is regularly dealing with the heart of man. He's talking about our motivations, our deep desires. We see throughout the gospel that, that Jesus regularly, he calls out or he calls out the Pharisees as hypocrites. Their outward actions may have been, have been great and grand, but inwardly their hearts come from a dishonest place. Their motivations are misplaced. As followers of Christ, we're to live our life and pursue those passions with the purest of intentions. The heart of a follower of Christ is to be centered on Christ no matter what the task at hand may be. We look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything you do, you're doing it for the Lord. Uh, Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. 
knowing that you will receive a reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. And then in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, it says, Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. At the end of the day, you and I, whatever we do vocationally or recreationally, can be and should be an act of worship to God. Oftentimes we worry about what we'll do for a living. Right? Right? Millennials? We worry about what we'll do for a living. However, God's not so much worried about what you'll do, but the pinnacle of his concern is how you will do it. What is those driving motivations? It's the work of crafting a pure heart, which labors for God in all things that that requires significant investment and significant discipline. Followers of Christ in here this morning, we exist to glorify God and to make Him known. While the greatest showman largely ignores religion or God for that matter as a factor of every, uh, in the everyday life of its characters, uh, we do see this, this hint of a noble motivation in Barnum as he begins his work. His initial pursuits are, are grounded in this desire to provide a life for his family. And, and in this movie itself, it's the closest thing that we're going to get to living a life to glorify God, okay? This is what we're going with. However... As the film continues, Barnum's motivations become skewed by his wealth. As evidenced in this brief conversation with his wife, after buying the house that he always dreamed of buying for her, and it's right down the street from her parents. Watch the screen. Did you catch what Charity said to her husband? Right at the end of the scene, she reminds her husband by saying, we don't need all of this to be happy. So when is it enough? Where do we draw the line? This is a question we all have to ask ourselves. In our society, we're in a race for the biggest house, the newest car, the trendiest technology. Our society is completely obsessed with personal happiness, and sadly, it's often at the expense of others. In the moments that our personal happiness becomes our main pursuit, we've lost sight of God's plan for our lives, We've taken the wheel and we've put God in the back seat. The pursuit of passion is often blinding. In the film, Barnum is now a huge success. He's making the money he's always dreamed of and he has a massive team working for him. His shows are sold out every night. However, the one thing Barnum has yet to achieve is the respect from the upper class society. His desire has evolved from providing for his family to being accepted by society's elite, and perhaps more importantly to him now, proving his father-in-law wrong. Barnum takes a chance on Europe's most famous opera singer and brings her to America and schedules a tour under his company. He evolves from the circus to the opera. Barnum saw this as his chance to move up the societal ladder and to solidify his reputation as a self-made man. Watch the screens. This leads us into our second truth this morning. Is that God, first one being that God can give us those passions, right? But the second one is that the pursuit of self will leave us purposeless. It happens to us, doesn't it? It happens to you and it happens to me. And so take some time to reflect. 
Perhaps you started the company that you're at because of a love for the service that you were offering, right? Uh, Maybe given a little success, though, your love for it has transformed into a love of the wealth that it creates for you. Maybe your passion, in whatever area of life it might be, has actually moved beyond just being a passion and has actually become an idol in your life where you're worshiping that thing that you're dedicating all your time, your effort, your energies to. Has your pursuit of passion caused you to drift from God's plan for your life? Have you taken that passion in a different direction than maybe what God had intended for you? Has your pursuit of passion interfered with your pursuit of God? Does it take all your time, all your effort, all your energy that you don't have a relationship with God because you're so focused on something else? To put quite simply here, uh, maybe your success has led you away from serving in the local church. You're too busy to serve. You're too important to serve. Maybe your success has led you into greed where you don't even need to give anymore. Or perhaps it's not the success in your life that blinds you. Maybe it's the difficulties. The strained relationship with his in-laws is what's plaguing Barnum, and and his success at the same time is stifling his personal growth, at the same time as his weaknesses are and the difficulties that he has in life. Uh, People will come and they'll ask for prayer. This is is a a shockingly regular occurrence. As a pastor, people want you to pray for them. It's great. Uh, So people will come for ask ask for prayer and they'll say, I need a job. It's like, great. And so they have a job, they have an interview, and we pray for that, right? We, We ask God's will to be manifest in their life. And then all of a sudden they get this job and we get a call back. It's like, fantastic. They're excited. I got this job. And then the next Sunday rolls around and they come up and they are just complaining about their job. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wait, 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 wait. This was the same job that we asked God to provide for you, right? Uh, Difficulties have derailed them. And why? Because the mindset going in was selfish and it wasn't to glorify God. Going into that situation, it was about the selfish ambition It was about what we can gain or what I can gain from the situation, not about bringing glory to God. A follower of Christ is called to live a life in pursuit of God. It's a life which is meant to be lived in response to God's grace, in response to His mercy, and in response to His love. This means in the workplace, in our relationships with family, in our relationships with friends, out on the soccer pitch, out on the hockey rink. Wherever we go, we are to radiate God's goodness. But we often find ourselves missing the mark, don't we? It's in the same way David, the man after God's own heart, had moments of profound and obvious weakness. When his passion to bring God glory was actually overshadowed by his selfish desires. It becomes most clear to us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David, the king of Israel, he sends his forces off into battle. Now, if you know anything about the kind of king David was, he was often the kind of king to lead his forces into battle. But the scripture makes a specific note that he stayed back in Jerusalem. And while David stays back, maybe you've heard the story before, he stays back and he sees from from the rooftop a woman bathing, a beautiful woman. He lays his eyes upon her, and in that moment, his heart sought out selfishness instead of bringing glory to God. 
He's entrapped by lust. And eventually he has the woman brought to him and uh, he sleeps with her. And then he learns that he actually impregnated her. So what does David, the king of Israel, do? 2 Samuel 11 tells us that David uses his gifts from God, his cunningness, his, his creativity, and he uses them to manufacture the death of this woman's husband in the front lines of battle. David has a set of strengths and abilities that on one hand he uses to glorify God, yet on the other hand he's using the same strengths and abilities to murder his mistress's husband. So where are you in this story? Where are you in your journey? Are you trapped in the constant pursuit of more like Barnum? Are you living your life in an attempt to prove others wrong rather than to bring God glory? Or are you like David, using your giftings for selfish or sinful gain? After a series of events that are directly related to Barnum's selfish ambition, he comes to a point where he's left completely empty. His dream has been derailed and his success has vanished. Barnum's property has burnt down. He's involved in a public scandal and the bank foreclosed on his home. And even the family he set out to provide for has left him. But his story doesn't end here. Watch the screen. Uh, You can keep that going forever for me. Like, seriously, I like the beat is going. It's like when these guys are up here, I'm in the front row. Like, come on. We just extended it for that reason so you could just get that feeling welling up inside of you. Is it just me who gets the goosebumps and that kind of stuff? Okay. Too passionate. The reason that we're attracted to this final sequence, number one, there's the driving beat, right? Boom, boom, boom. They get that hand clap, like whatever going on. That attracts us to it, right? But there's something deeper here. And it's something that's deep within you and it's deep within me. It's every single one of us. It's a part of the human experience. It's a deep longing for hope. Despite the fact that Barnum squandered his wealth, he hurt his family, there's hope for redemption. By the intervention of his employees, he's reminded of the love that he has for his family, right? It just zones in on that picture. It hits you right in the feels. He's reminded why he originally started in this business. Despite David's sin, there's hope for redemption. There are consequences, yes, but there is hope. For Barnum, he lost every single penny that he had. At the end of the film, he's completely reliant on other people to get things started back up again. David... He lost the son that he had to Bathsheba, and then he actually lost three more sons who met violent ends. There's consequences when selfishness trumps our pure motivations. That's not something that we can ignore. But at the end of the day, our God is a God of second chances. At the end of the day, the grace of Jesus Christ is available to both you and to me. And it leads us into our final truth this morning, that is God redeems our selfish pursuits. In that last scene, it was Barnum who declares, from now on, my eyes will not be blinded by the light. It's a bold promise. And if we know anything about human nature, there surely will come a time where he will be blinded again. However, the only way you can keep yourself from being blinded, the 
only way to find wholeness and to be free from the selfishness that entangles us is for our eyes to be wholly fixed on Christ. Hebrews 12, one to two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So where are you at in pursuing your dreams this morning? What are the passions you're pursuing and why are you pursuing them? And through it all, are your eyes fixed on Jesus? David had consequence for his sin, but God didn't give up on him. David's deepest desire was to bring God glory, and he did so by honoring God's instructions not to build the temple. David had all the power and might to build the temple. He knew that the king who was to build the temple would be remembered for generations, and this selfish temptation to solidify a name for himself was surely present. However, he listened to God's instruction, as it was, it was his son Solomon who was to build the temple. Not only did David let his son Solomon build the temple, but before his death, he went about securing provisions for the temple's construction. David dedicated his last days as king to gathering wealth, materials, and laborers for the temple that would be ready on Solomon's order to go and to work on the building that God had promised would come. On top of that, David encouraged his son to labor for the glory of God. We find David's encouragement to his son in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 11 to 13. He says, Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success, and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success. If you are careful to observe the decrees and the laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. As much as the life of David makes for uh, stereotypical Sunday school stories, it's not a life that was free from struggles, failures, and misguided pursuits. However, the life of David reveals to us a characteristic of our God, and that's redemption. Throughout Scripture, God uses the selfish pursuits and He redeems them to bring glory to His name and to reveal His goodness and power. It was in the last, uh, the last like quiet line of uh, the song that they're singing. Uh, Barnum, right before he looks in, into the, the photos on the wall, he, um, what's the lyrics? Do you have the lyrics? Because it just came to me. Let me see. Uh, from, let's see. Eyes will not be blinded by the light. No, back, back, back. This is my passion. I couldn't let you guys leave without knowing this one. Uh, one more back. Uh, here. Perfect. If all was lost, ever been there? Lost? This is why it's worth it. Ever been lost? Anybody? Just me. Passionate and lost. Sweet. If all was lost, there is more I gain because it led me back to you. To you right? It's not to you, it's to him. 
Think about that for a minute. If all was lost, how many times in your life have you found yourself in that place of absolute hopelessness and despair and brokenness? Have you ever been there? I've been there. But there's more to gain through the hope of redemption. There's more to gain through, through the redeeming power and the qualities of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and the grace and mercy that he offers all of us. Psalm 130, verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. This is the gospel message poured out for all of us. And while the greatest showman, it hits me and the emotional side of things, my foot gets tapping, I want to join the, the clapping band, right? Uh, as it hits us there, it leaves us wanting to sing and dance our way out. But the scripture reveals to us the most important element. It's that it's the riches of God's grace through redemption and not our own abilities to get our lives back on track. We don't have that power. There's a surrender that has to happen. Barnum in the movie, because we all love happily ever afters, he pulls himself together, you know? He's at his low in the bar, his employees come in, they motivate him, rah, rah, self-help. He gets out and he goes and makes it all better. That's not how the world works. You could come from nothing and achieve everything, but without an understanding of who Jesus is and without a life lived in pursuit of him, at the end of the day, you still got nothing. Our passions and our pursuits in this life must be sustained by bringing glory to God. The pursuit of self is a regular distraction. I'm guilty as could possibly be, and it leads us to a life full of emptiness. A passion rooted in the pursuit of Jesus Christ is the one and only way in which hope and redemption will come to your life. In a dying world which, which so desperately needs more of God, it needs us to be catalysts of that hope and catalysts of that redemption, sharing the message of Jesus wherever we go. So as you leave here today with a new song stuck in your head, I'm going to ask you to consider simply the same thing Lauren asked you just a couple minutes ago. Where are you in this story? And once you identify where you're at, you have to identify what your next step is. For some of you in here, it might just be to begin a relationship with Jesus. That, that hope and that redemption you don't have. You don't know why you wake up each morning. Step one is to begin the relationship with Jesus. For some of us, it's to come to the foot of the cross, repentant. And to repent of the selfish pursuits. And to allow God to do an inner transformation where we can now focus our eyes back on him and pursue his plan for our life. And regardless, as you go from here this morning, we don't come around just to sing a couple songs and to watch movies. It's not what we're about. And regardless where you are this morning, you need to take a step deeper in your pursuit of Jesus. Jesus is calling us to, to a full abandonment of everything and a full pursuit of him. We as a community of Soul Sanctuary, and pastors and, and leaders and steering committee, and, and we're here to, to lift you up and to support you in this journey. 
maybe you're like, I know I need, a ne- need to take a next step, but I have no idea how to identify it. Don't know what's next. That's why we're here. You can reach out to us. Like, uh, maybe, maybe your next step is you just need something to be prayed for. You can put it on the cross. Uh, maybe just fill out a contact card. Leave it at the desk. Send an email to the office. Come talk with us afterwards. We're here as a community to support you. That's what community is about because you can't do life alone. We exist to guide you along your next steps in pursuing Jesus on a deeper level. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the passions and the dreams that you place, not just on the hearts of young people, but on everyone, Lord Jesus. And as we go from this place, I I pray that you would continue to refine those dreams, to refine those pursuits, and ultimately, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would just be so softened that in everything that we do, we're bringing you glory instead of bringing glory to ourselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that you remind us of your power. I pray that you remind us of the hope you bring and of redemption. Thank you for your death and resurrection, for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In times of old, the one giving the blessing raised their hands, and the ones receiving the blessing did likewise. So if you'd like a blessing this morning, please stand and raise your hands with me. So from now on, Soul Sanctuary, may he who placed the passions on your heart make them ever so clear and carry them to completion. From now on, may the pursuit of God take precedence over the pursuit of self. From now on, may you trust the redemptive power of the grace of Jesus Christ. And may you come back home, returning to your first love and the plans that he has for you. Be blessed and we'll see you next week.